welcome again to Celebrating 60-something. I know December is a busy month, so maybe you're in your car, headed out shopping, maybe you're in the kitchen, baking up some Christmas goodies. Wherever you are, I really appreciate you tuning in. Thank you for doing that. You know, by the time someone reaches 60-something, they've had a lot of Christmases. And it's fun to reminisce and to think back and remember the times when Christmas was just a lot simpler. I don't know that it was better. Maybe in our minds in some ways it was. But it was a lot simpler, and I think that's what made it so magical. Families actually spent more time just doing simple things, and now we save those simple things for Christmas Eve usually. Well, I guess they're not so simple if you're the one doing the cooking, but we save those get-together times mostly for Christmas Eve. You know, our family had a big family Christmas party planned. Actually, it was a Christmas weekend at a cabin. There are 28 of us now, but we had to cancel the whole thing because of COVID and the restrictions that are in place, and so that really makes me sad. But it did give me the opportunity to spend some time looking through books and looking at things I have from old Christmases. And I have this wonderful book. It's called It's a Wonderful Christmas, The Best of the Holidays Between 1940 and 1965. And that includes a lot of my Christmas memories in that era. This book is by Susan Wagner. And so I happen to turn to this one page. It's actually the year 1959. And that is the year that the Barbie doll came out. Now, if you are a woman in your 60s, you are obviously familiar with the Barbie doll. But I thought I would just read a little bit from this book today and tell you a little bit about the Barbie doll, and then we'll go on to some Christmas stories. Mattel's Barbie catwalks onto the shelves, and millions of young girls start learning how to accessorize. For years, toy makers and sociologists alike insisted that little girls like child dolls that allowed them to play mom. Barbie creator Ruth Handler had a different idea. Why not make a doll that let her girls pretend they were grown-up teenagers? Handler was right, and Barbie, the teenage fashion model, has been a bestseller since her debut at the New York Toy Fair. The original Barbie was a ponytailed blonde who came in a black-and-white striped strapless swimsuit and sold for $3. That's the Barbie doll I had, and I remember it well. A dazzling variety of sold-separately outfits, each with meticulously detailed accessories, allowed her to be ready for everything from slumber parties to singing in a nightclub. Since being blonde and beautiful means you never have to be alone for long, Barbie was joined by boyfriend Ken in 1961, best friend Midge in 1963, and little sister Skipper in 1964. Yeah, yeah, we know. If Barbie were real, her measurements would be 39, 18, 33. But she isn't, so there. I just thought that was a fun little thing to think back on and remember. I also had the Midge doll and lots and lots of clothes. I had an aunt who sewed, and she made us Barbie clothes, and we had lots of Barbie things. Barbies were a great memory for me at Christmas time. What are some of the favorite things you remember about Christmas time? You know, you can leave comments on celebrating60something.com. If you just click on the About tab, it tells you a little bit about me, and then below there's a place for you to leave comments, and I would appreciate that. It would be really helpful to me to know what you're thinking, to know if, you know, this podcast is really bad or, you know, I liked this episode where you talked about this. How about an episode about that? Those kinds of things would be really helpful to me. So check it out. Leave me your thoughts and comments and don't forget to read the blog posts while you're there. Some are from me and some are from other people. 
just like our stories today. I promised we were going to read Christmas stories, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to start out with a story by a friend of mine. Her name is Lori, and she lives in Idaho, and she sent this real-life experience story. I appreciate it so much, and I think it has such a great message. I spent most of my growing up years in Huntington Beach, California. We lived in a cul-de-sac in our neighborhood and had about 12 neighbors close by. We knew most of the neighbors, especially the families that had kids, like us. I think there were 18 to 20 kids living on our little block, six of whom were in my family. We spent most of our time outside, Southern California style, riding bikes, skateboards, and roller skating, playing basketball, football, or volleyball in the yard, and running around playing tag or hide-and-go-seek. I'm sure we were loud and obnoxious. We just really didn't care at the time. There was a retired couple, I don't remember their names, that lived across the street from us, who spent lots of time working in their yard. They were meticulous in their yard work, and it was pristine. We didn't know much about them except that they had an accent when they spoke that sounded like they were from some Scandinavian country. And we knew that they did not appreciate all of us kids in the hood riding our bikes or running into their lovely yard. They were the quintessential, you darn kids stay off my lawn neighbors. So we pretty much kept our distance as much as possible. So we had a family tradition that we would go caroling every Christmas season, all eight of us, no matter how badly most of us sang. What a gift, right? We would take homemade treats along with us, which hopefully made up for the screeching. We would go to the neighbors that we knew well and liked, and they seemed to enjoy the whole thing. Well, one year, my dad made the dreaded announcement that we were going to take our treats and Christmas carols to everyone in the neighborhood that year. He obviously didn't understand the whole social dynamics of obnoxious kids versus retired couple who were dedicated to their immaculate yard. We tried to warn him that there was no way these people were going to let us walk all the way up their sidewalk to the front door and stand there. We were going to get screamed at for sure. He said that if they did, we would be fine. So we grudgingly made the walk across the street to the nice yard house. We nervously rang the doorbell and the retired couple both answered the door together. We started croaking out our we wish you a Merry Christmas while I watched their faces for the expected angry looks I was sure we would be seeing. But, much to my utter shock, they were actually smiling. I dare say they seemed thrilled. What? They were grinning from ear to ear as we finished our tune and immediately invited us inside their house. I couldn't believe it. We tried to politely decline. I mean, eight people traipsing into the living room would really be pushing it. But they insisted, so in we went. We entered what could, without exaggeration, be considered a winter wonderland. Their front room was decked out from top to bottom with unique and gorgeous Christmas decorations. There were exquisite music boxes lining the shelves, and they excitedly showed us the delicate detail of every single one. We saw gorgeous, precious heirlooms that had obviously been brought from their home country. I could tell that my mom was nervous about the potential damage our mob could do to the irreplaceable objects and watched her, try, watched her try to come up with a graceful exit strategy. She motioned to a refreshment table that was set up there in the living room, complete with a big full punch bowl surrounded by different cookies and baked goods. It looks like you're expecting company, she said. We'd probably better get out of your way. 
This couple, I really wish I could remember their names, said that they weren't expecting company, but that it was a tradition where they were from to have treats ready for visitors and carolers who may happen by during the Christmas season. I was floored at this. I don't think I ever saw a visitor at their home. No friends, no family, no grandkids, nobody. And yet, here they were, all decorated and treat ready, just in case somebody, anybody came by. And then I felt an uncomfortable feeling like my guts had turned to mush as I realized that they'd probably been ready for and hoping for visitors every year. And this was the only year we had visited. How many years had we gone skipping past their home on our way to deliver treats and holiday greetings to other neighbors and not them? How many cookies were left uneaten and cups of punch left untouched and music boxes that were never played? How many lonely homesick nights did they endure every Christmas? I was truly and utterly ashamed of myself for not being the kind of neighbor everyone should have. I was also so grateful that we were there that night and that Christmas to visit, finally. Grateful that my dad could see the importance of befriending everyone in our neighborhood. That visit ended up being just the first of our repeated visits to our new friend's home. I often wonder about the coincidence of who are our neighbors, co-workers, church members, friends, and others who are within our sphere. Is it coincidence, or is there a bigger, more divine reason why we cross paths with people we do? I'm starting to see that nothing is by accident, and we should be looking at one another with the questions, why are we at the same place at the same time as so-and-so? What is it that I can do to bless their life? How can I bring my unique talents and personality to be a positive influence in the lives of those I meet? And even how can I help bring the Christmas spirit or the spirit of Christ to others? This is one of the reasons why I love Christmas. It gives us an excuse to engage with people we might not have had the chance to engage with before. We don't have to feel weird about it because, hey, it's Christmas. Of course we want to give a holiday greeting even if we don't know each other well, yet. So I'm going to always try to remember, to remember people who may usually be forgotten, because I can't stand the thought of another punch bowl going untouched. Not on my watch. Merry Christmas, everybody. Isn't that just the greatest Christmas story? Who are the people that are in your sphere of influence? Whose lives can you make a difference in by just doing something kind, just noticing them, just treating them like you would want to be treated? I have one more story. This is just a little short one, just to remind us that it is the small things that truly make Christmas and bring that spirit into our hearts. This story is called The Angel on the Ammo Can, and it is by John Missenbach. Each year I feel the Christmas spirit in our home as we get out the decorations. The nativity scene is put in its usual place and the stockings are hung above the fireplace. The reindeer and elves are put on the stair rail. And always, when we place the Christmas angel in her traditional spot, my mind wanders to a place halfway around the world. It is December 22nd, 1970. I am in a jungle near the village of Songbay, South Vietnam. 
we can hear the resupply choppers coming in. We prepare the landing zone and wait to receive supplies, food, water, ammunition, and most important, letters and packages from home. I make sure the men under my command have received their rations and have all their mail and packages. Then I take some time to read my own letters. My mind wanders and many things trouble me as I read the letters, some of them mailed over four weeks ago. I've been in Vietnam for 335 days, most of them spent in the field. I feel hardened and frustrated with life. Here it is, three days before Christmas, and the one thing I'm thinking of is that I have only 29 days left until I'm on my way home. I hope my last missions will go well, that I'll be able to leave my responsibilities and my men well, and that my replacement will be the best one they could receive. There are no thoughts of Christmas or of my Savior's birth until I open the package with the beautiful white angel inside. She's about 12 inches tall, dressed in white clothes with golden hair. I put her on top of an overturned ammunition can and begin to read the letter from my dear mother. In her own words, she tells me the story of the birth of our Savior and bears a quiet, sweet testimony. I feel myself being lifted spiritually. My mother told me this story over and over when I was a child, but never did I feel the Spirit of Christ so close before. I glance up from the letter and notice some of my men looking at the white angel. I wind her up and no one says a word as silent night fills the air and the Christmas angel brings special emotions out in each one of us. Some tears are shed and feelings exchanged as the Spirit of Christ touches each of us. Later as I pack and prepare to move out, I wrap the angel carefully and place her in my rucksack. I think of home and family and loved ones, but most of all, I think of Jesus and all that he's done for me. Thank you for listening today. I hope those Christmas stories lifted your heart and made you happy and that it puts you in the Christmas spirit and the Christmas mood, and we all know what that feels like. That's it. That's all for today, and I hope you go out and make it a wonderful day and find somebody who needs to feel that Christmas spirit. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Bye.